Let's face it, running a construction company can be chaotic. As business owners, we wear a lot of hats and we're constantly putting out fires. Luckily, there's a way to work simpler with Build a Trend. I'm a huge advocate for using technology to help run AFT, and Build a Trend is one of the most crucial tools I rely on to keep me on top of every detail. Built just for home builders and remodelers, this is an easy-to-use platform that helps manage all aspects of my business. My team's been using Build-A-Trend's project management platform for the last five years, and we love that they're always improving and adding new features to make our lives easier. This is something that we've really tried to take on internally to find ways to improve our system every day. Build-A-Trend just released a full set of financial services, added new tools like Takeoff to make estimates more accurate, and launched a total rebrand with a new mission to help change the future of construction, and we are on board. To learn more about how Build-A-Trend can help calm the chaos in your construction business, visit buildatrend.com backslash AFT. When you schedule a demo, you'll receive an exclusive 60-day money-back guarantee only available to my podcast listeners. I'm following Build-A-Trend into the future in construction. Come on board with us. Don't miss the Contractors Coalition Summit. You can go to ContractorsCoalitionSummit.com and join us in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Wednesday, May 15th through Sunday, May 19th. This is going to be an incredible event. Again, for all of you builders and designers looking to take your business to the next level to learn about all things, systems, organization, pricing, social media, marketing, how to be a better business owner, all the things that we wish we knew as early business owners many years ago. We're going to speak about that. Also give you a Dropbox with all the content, including contracts and other documents that we're using, as well as KPIs, key performance indicators. So don't miss it. It's a huge opportunity. Some amazing vendors will be there as well that you can network with. So again, Wednesday, May 15th through Sunday, May 19th, 2024 in Minneapolis, go to contractorscoalitionsummit.com. This industry is changing at the fastest rate that I think it ever has in its entire history. And if you're not willing to adopt new technologies and processes and the professionalism that comes from that, then you're probably not going to be around in the next five years. So welcome to the podcast today. We have a special guest with us, Brad Robinson. Welcome, Brad. Hey, brother. How's it going? Good, man. I think it's going to be easy not to forget your name now. So, <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's one good thing we share. It's a good name. Well, uh, Brad is the uh, president of Bradford Custom Homes and Remodeling. And... Um, you know, it's been, it, it's going to be fun to connect today on the episode here. So maybe I, we'll, we'll start here, Brad. So how should a customer engage with a custom home builder? Oh, that's, uh, that's complex, right? So customers come from all over the place, uh, whether that's from an architect or a designer referral, um, or in our case, we're, we're fortunate that our, um, our social images help and bring customers directly to us, um, as a design build contractor here um we're always trying to to work it from that angle because aligning early in the project helps us deliver the best product at the end and as a customer centric firm our priority number one is to deliver the best experience that we possibly can and um, having them come directly to us i find uh, always benefits the customer at the end why? So you mentioned design build. Have you guys always been design build from day one? No, not really. Uh, it's something that we we grew into. I think um, our background is somewhat unique. We're a builder that also does a lot of remodeling. Um, it's about fifty percent of our business. And when doing large scale additions, um, a lot of times there's just a need to to have those type of design services in-house or at least close to the hip for our for our customers to be able to develop these things in a way that um, is, is not only um, driving the customer's wants, uh, but also in trying to, to capture what the as-builds are. So we decided to bring a lot of that stuff in-house so that we could closely control uh, the final designs and also, you know, sort of the value engineering piece that comes with a lot of this is making sure that it fits within our customers budgets. So with that, you know, being, I, and I totally understand the remote aspect, especially to have a little bit more control. It's moving at a quicker pace. Um, you kind of want to keep it in your capsule because remodels can get, they can get away from you. Right. And not only can that happen for a lot of different angles, but you also have a customer that is anxious to get the project moving 
you don't want any gaps in there because sometimes clients live in there or if not, they're renting somewhere and they're nearby. And so there's a really finite timeline there. How does that play into custom homes? Are you doing all your own design build for customs as well? Not all of them. Um, like I had mentioned, we have referrals that come in from some of our closer friends and architects. Um, they also come in from some of our designers, uh, which we're very fortunate to have some strong relationships there. And those are always fun. Uh, and then we get to put our, we get to provide our input um, sometimes a bit earlier because of those relationships. But when they come to us in the traditional sense where, you know, the client's already aligned to the architect, the plans are mostly fleshed out um, and they've taken a crack at some value engineering and it makes its way to us um, on the, the new construction side, we're, you know, we're able to, to jump in there and really deliver on what their original uh, design intent was. That, that's what we're finding. So bringing that element to the new construction side for us is, uh, it's been big. Uh, it's been a huge undertaking to, to try to stand up a, a system, the people behind it, um, and all of the different elements and the processes, um, you know, th that was a challenge for us as a business, but I'm, I'm proud of what we've been able to accomplish in the team that we've put together. They've done an amazing job so far. So what does that look like? You mentioned aligning yourself early with your clients, which is highly valuable. It's going to lead to a much more successful project if the clients engage you from day one. How does that process differ if you're managing the design build process as opposed to working with an outside consultant for architecture and interior design? Well, it streamlines the process tremendously, right? So, and not having to uh, play the telephone game, uh, you know, I would say that does a couple things and I'll digress just a bit. So, I mean, it's going to truncate the process uh, and it's going to streamline it. So it'll be a, you know, the direct connection between the person that, you know, that wants it, the, the client, and then how to deliver on that without having to play that telephone game. I think we get a more accurate, um, we, we, we take that information, digest it, and then produce it in the first attempt rather than having to go back and forth a couple times, which again, is just um, taking longer, costs the clients more money at the end of the day, um, because there's more hours that are being built against it when you're having to to play goalkeeper on both sides. Um, so, so I think that that process benefits all parties um, and it doesn't cut the architects out in this case. So I think, you know, it's just better for the client in general and the experience is better because there's less conversation going on. Now, is there a difference in time frame? So like if you're going to do your own design build as opposed to working with the outside firm, is the duration different at pre-con? That's, that's tough because I think that in the way that customers come to us, we use, we let their timeline really dictate, um, how we go about it. That's the one thing that we try to do is, is to, to give the customers plenty of time to digest it, it what it is that we're accomplishing for them. Um, but I think that there's, you know, depending on what the level that the customer comes into us and how much research they've done, how much backend work they've done by the time they've gotten to us, that really dictates the timeline more than anything. But a design build can go faster than a, a simple set of plans coming to us and us just, which we don't engage in any competitive bidding, uh, but rather if we're going to align with them in our pre-construction process, um, we're usually able to, each process has its own life cycle. I wish that I had the statistics to show that one was faster than the other, but each project is so unique. It's, it's hard to, to spell that out clearly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, there's too many variation. I think even with a home in itself, it's never been built before. Right. So you're doing everything for the first time remodel, even though the home's existing, there could be major complications as you open it up, depending on how, you know, all the surprises you may find. You <laughs> mentioned that there's no competitive bidding. Um, how have you built a brand to be able to negotiate your work? Uh, was that the case from day one? What, you know, what sets you apart now where you're in a position where you don't have to competitively bid? Yeah. And, and that's uh that's a great question. So 
No, it's not always been that way. Um, we, we used to kind of take what we could get right in the early days. I hate to say it that way, but I think, you know, you have to feed the beast. You want to grow, you're in growth mode. You take projects um, from a, a variety of sources and no matter how they come in, you may find yourself in a position where you, where we were competitively bidding in the past, but as we've evolved and the business has grown, um, we've been fortunate to uh, use and leverage a lot of different types of sort, you know, a lot of different marketing resources to, to bring clients to us that understand that we've established ourselves as someone who can do the work um, and do it well. Um, so that when we're in these conversations in the early days, it it's 100% process and alignment um, to the type of project and to the customer. Those two things are obviously the most important factors of just in determining whether we'd be a good fit to work together. Um, but we've just taken a different approach. We, we want to do the type of projects we want to do. And we have, you know, the willingness to be patient, um, to let those projects come through and develop in that way. And I think after some period of time, now customers are just coming to us and we're focusing on bringing them through this process and it's allowed for us to, to grow in that way. How, um, if a customer is to reach out to you, Brad, and say, okay, we love the company, we love following you, we love the branding, um, we have a few other builders looking at this and here you are, you get that cold call, which I'm sure still happens. We want a number, we want a bid. How do you handle that? Yeah, um, and, and that's great. And I, it's, it's interesting because I try to help give some guardrails around some basic high, high, high level ballparking uh, to say, look, a project of your size and depending on a million different variables could fall between this range and this range. And I leave it very open. And I, I say, if that makes sense to you and you believe we're a good fit to work together and you want to take the next step, then let's start talking about engaging in a pre-construction services agreement. And that gives them, a, will call it a reduced barrier of entry, right? You're, you're not committing 10 to 12% of your resources for your entire build, but a smaller percentage of that. And during that phase, we get to learn a lot about one another. And we're going to produce and develop a work product that they can walk away with and go to anybody else in the marketplace. Um, so if we're developing, um, uh, you know, we've done a design review or, or a plan review and we've taken them through selections, they're walking away with that end product. They're walking away with construction documents that'll be beneficial to them. And then at the end of that engagement, they'll ultimately have a refined and, um, I guess just more itemized budgetary proposal to start having real conversations about. So, so essentially it's not, and I think it's important for anyone listening to this, understand that if someone's coming out saying, okay, Brad, will you build bid my project? I already have other bidders. It, it, it's not as easy saying yes or no, but essentially you're selling, you know, the process, what it takes you to put together a proposal. You understand the time commitment. You understand the value you bring as a company. So essentially you're educating the client to say, look, for me to be your project, there's this whole database of information. There's investment, there's a cost for my team. And essentially selling them on a pre-construction pre-service agreement, professional service agreement that they see the value. And what's that experience been with the customer as you walk them through that saying, we typically sign a PSA. Here's what that looks like. Here's what that looks like. You know, how did they digest that information? They all digest it differently, but I think <laughs> that I, I truly believe that the customers that want to have the greatest or the best experience in going through this major decision, they understand the importance of the cost of planning, um, whether they're busy professionals or whether they're people that have more time to, to invest in this adventure. I, there is no negating the planning phase um, and other builders in our market in particular are quick to provide a number and then slow to provide detail, um, which at the end of the day is just a recipe for disaster. And I think it's a race to the bottom for our entire industry. 
uh, because we're they're not properly educating our customer and they're leading them to a place where there's a tremendous amount of risk um, for all parties involved. And, and that's a scary place. And I've been there. And it's a place that when I turned around, I said, burn the boats and we moved in a completely different direction. It's funny you say that. And, and I think we've had the same experience with customers. And early on in my career, before I really understood probably all the ins and outs of my business and pre-construction and what it cost me to operate. Um, you know, like many of us were probably bidding what we can. You and I are probably pretty similar from the early days. But I remember bidding on a project and the actual customer told me that another GC had charged him 10 grand to bid the project. And he said that he actually respected that more because it showed that there was an investment. Um, he felt that the builder would have to provide a ton of value and expertise if he's going to charge him 10 grand just for a number. And so it gave him a little bit of assurance and it kind of changed my perspective that I think a lot of times, I don't want to say we're scared or intimidated. It's just, you know, we want to earn the business. We want to get the job. We don't want to um, put ourselves in a place where maybe the client would be reluctant to hire us, but that investment could position ourselves to show that, Hey, we're more of an expert in, you know, any expert in any other profession, they're not going to do anything for free. Exactly. I mean, I value my time. You certainly value yours. Um, $10,000 seems like a lot of money for a lot of folks. And I, but I would beg to differ that in terms of a million dollar plus project, a very small percentage to, to make sure that you have accuracy um, in what you're actually going to produce and how you're going to make it, you're going to manifest it out of the dirt. I think 10,000 is a small number. I think that there's a lot more that goes behind it as well. And so, and that's the practice that we've put into place uh, is, you know, we don't necessarily sell bricks and sticks. We sell us, we sell our process, we sell our people, we sell experience, um, just like many other industries do, you know, uh, Rolex doesn't make a commercial about how well it tells time. You, you'll never see that. It just doesn't exist. Um, it, it's about something different. It's, it's about emotion. And we tend to spend a lot of time talking about how our customers feel um, and we grade them. Um, I had a great conversation this past week about our biweekly check-ins with our customers and, you know, asking our customers to give us, you know, on a one to 10 scale, how do you feel this project's going right now? And, you know, anything below, you know, in my book, I'd say, all right, anything less than an A is bad. I'd say, all right, give me a nine or better. That's where I want to be. But if somebody gives you a seven or an eight, I mean, that's, you're barely, you're barely scratching the surface of maybe what you're holding your end of the deal from an expectations perspective. Um, and we want to grade folks. We want to, we want to test, we want to get their pulse all along the way to make sure that what we're doing is working. So are you doing that? It sounds like you're doing midweek surveys with your clients. We're doing bi-weeklies right now. And I would tell you that just the kind of projects we're doing, we could really take that to a weekly, but bi-weekly seems to be working for now. And then warehousing that information within the file structure and builder trend so that we can come back and spot check that, especially when we're doing our project autopsy, just looking at how, you know, where did, where did the process go well? Where did the process not go well? You can basically spot check yourself through those biweekly meetings and just determining what their grade was at the time in which they went through this. I think you've talked about it in other pod, you know, in other instances where you're like, you know, you have to kind of check yourself along the way. Yeah, you have to. And those data points are super important. In fact, uh, Nick with NS Builders, I know he does one once a month and you're doing yours twice a month, essentially, you know, every other week. Um, what, what's the feedback been from the customers, their participation? Do you feel that that's um, may, maybe the pros and cons of doing that biweekly, you know, survey? You know, we find that the customers aren't too worried about the granular details. Um, you know, you, you think that's counterintuitive. They're like, okay, when are cabinets getting knobs or whatever? You know, you think that they're worried about those things. They're not. They have no concern over that. It seems to me that the customers are more concerned about the major milestones um, and then facilitating their needs around that, right? Like how can they plan their lives out um, 
because a lot of our customers don't aren't living in the home during the remodel phase. We, you know, they're gone, they're somewhere else. So they're trying to, you know, trying to live their lives They're They just want to know they need an expectation. They want to plan. Um, they do want to know when they're going to need to go start shopping for furniture or meet with that designer and start talking about furnishings and, you know, fun things like that. So they're trying to pace themselves in accordance with what you're producing. So um, we're just trying to give them the best information that we can to make sure that those expectations uh, for what they're doing in their lives are as close to what reality is. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their their company culture, their integrity, their honesty. You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects so for anyone any scale any size they're the ones to call they're here local you know they have an amazing instagram make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing so if you need windows and doors give sammy and adam a call we stand behind pella we love what they do their culture their brand and especially their quality and if you want to learn more about pella windows check our show notes we'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out does your communication process look different from a custom home to a remodel Absolutely. Yeah. A hundred percent. I, you know, we still use the same tools. We still have the same process, right. That we follow, but we find that we're communicating twice as frequently. It's, it's 200% more communication on a remodel for sure. The resources behind the remodeling projects are, are 200% the resources. Um, I know some people will call me out on that and say two per hundred percent. Like, how do you manage that? Well, I mean, if you look at our, the risk reward too on a remodel, there's, there's a lot going on and you have to calculate that. Um, so you have to put more people behind it just to make sure, I mean, the technology that we're using and builder trend and the project management platform, that that's great, but there's still somebody behind the keyboard, um, at the end of the day, putting that information in and keeping everybody on the, on the same path. Do you, based on, because you do so many projects and of course the diversity of scope here, you mentioned that it's twice as much communication on a remodel. Is there a reason behind it? Like why, if you're to set that apart and really categorize the two different projects, is it a mindset thing? Is it an issue thing? Is it a, a remodel clients are more hands-on kind of what breaks down that, that need for double communication? All the above, but mostly remodel customers are much more engaged. Um, they're much more emotionally attached to a, a, <laughs> a house that they've been living in for 10 years or their whole lives or, maybe was passed down from one generation to the next. They have uh, an emotional connection to that physical space that new construction clients just have not created yet. Um, it's not real until you show them something. You walk them into the house for the first time after you know dry-in, uh, that customer's gonna act a lot differently than, hey, we, we've just re finished re-roofing this house. They're like, thanks for protecting this. It means so much, right? Uh, a new construction client would never understand that feeling after you've put a roof on, it's nice that it's dry in there, right? But at the end of the day, you've, you've now shirt up their, their baby, you know, and remodel customers are like that. There's just a different breed. Yeah, there is. And, and I, I think I can relate in the sense that, you know, we still do major renovations as well with the custom homes and there's definitely, and, and we're probably similar to you in the sense that, you know, our, our clients don't live in the home when we're remodeling, you know, that's kind of one of our operating procedures, our SOP. Um, but at the same time, we found that from scheduling, right. Scheduling is a little bit more condensed typically. And, uh, because the scope's different, right. If we're building a new house, you and I, um, we have durations in there for concrete and, and, you know, foundation and f framing and windows and all these aspects, but under rebottle, 
it's moving quick. The structure's there. So it's as fast as you can have cabinetry and countertops and, you know, any mechanicals you're doing, it really depends on the complexity of the remodel. But, um, uh, do you have a preference of what you enjoy? I mean, the, the, there's a much difference kind of like picking your favorite kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I guess this is hard. I, I really love the whole creation aspect of new construction. I really do. I love seeing different terrains and topographies come to life in a different way than maybe I had the original, you know, especially if we didn't do a comprehensive rendering on it. I love kind of seeing that element, but I'll say this. I guess I'm just a people person, so I love being around people all day long, and I know that most builders are completely the opposite, but I started in remodeling. I come from this space. One of the reasons that I think I got into this in general is because I just loved meeting new people and looking at how much they cared and had pride and how much pride they had in their homes. And I got to be a part of transforming that and creating it into something totally different that they get to, to relive for the next 10 years or 20 years or however long they're going to stay in their house. And I find a great sense of, of pride in doing that for these customers. And so I, I've definitely got to probably say that remodeling is just a little bit more of, uh, you know, I have a, a greater sense of pride and appreciation for remodeling because of that. Now I'll say our VP of construction, he, he'd go the complete opposite way. And I think that we've established this, uh, in such a way where, you know, we got the right guy for the right job in this, in this case, you know, our VP of new construction, he, he would stay as far away from remodels as he could. <laughs> <laughs> So how does that look like? I mean, your role as president, you have a VP of construction, you know, day-to-day -day organization. What does that look like? Yeah. So I, I split the house up. I have, uh, I have Cody who runs our VP of new construction. And then I have um, Marlon who runs our remodel division. They're two totally different skill sets. Um, super organized, obviously very dedicated to, to trying to innovate um, in their respective fields of, of what they're doing and, but both very different mindset tracks, uh, how they talk to themselves, very different, um, how they execute again, very different. Um, there are so many different kind of conversations that happen on the remodel side that never happen on the new construction side. We needed to con completely s split those two things up from a responsibility and, a, and just our matrix of how we have our organization established and set up. Um, on the new construction side of the house, it's very traditional. You have project management super superintendents, or we call them builders here. Um, very traditional on the remodel side, you've got project managers, and then you've got a, a, basically a design lead that runs that project on a day-to-day -day in somewhat of a, a superintendent kind of role. Um, so we've broken it out and then we've got ops we got someone who basically is our chief of staff who's running the day-to-day -day operations and the conduit between the two divisions and then i still have stayed in somewhat of the traditional role meeting with clients um, i still like to be engaged in those conversations and i think that's again comes back to why i do this i, I love meeting with people i love being social in that element i love helping be a part of the origination and the design and you know the futuristic uh depiction of, of what we can help them accomplish. So I still like being a part of those things. Um, I still get very involved with our estimating team to kind of, uh, to help coach those guys. Um, my team is, I've, I've said this, I, I hate to call them uh, an asset, but I've heard you call your team, your greatest asset. So I'll kind of uh, segue off of that. So that's, that's uh, really us in a box. And then from the, the construction side, are you operating like a true GC or do you guys still perform some of the remodeling aspects? Oh yeah. We, so sorry, I didn't carry it far enough downstream. We do have, um, we do have a team of carpenters. We have a team of painters that are completely in-house. They do jump back and forth, uh, depending on need. Um, but realistically our painters are our painters through and through. They're going to, they're going to work on both sides of the house, uh, because we can control uh, that with a very finite level of, of quality control. And our painters are doing a lot of fine finish, um, especially on the remodel side. 
uh, as we have them trend that translate over to the new construction side, it's in our trim finish package, right? So we have one standard trim finish package across both sides. Uh, so we get to keep that QC on both sides of the house. Our carpenters are well-versed in, you know, exactly how we like to see things done. Um, so those are really about it in terms of what we're self-performing. Everybody else is really uh, coming out of the sub base. Now, I've always found it interesting when I have guests on that do a little bit of both, right? You have the general contracting, the leadership, the superintendent side, you know, the management, if you will, and then you're self-performing. Performing. And so when you're hiring for both divisions, if you will, totally different people that you're hiring, different skill sets, um, the payroll, the accounting, how complex is it to have in-house trim, painters, you know, the decision to get to that point to have those departments and maybe the decision not to continue to expand and maybe have your own plumber or your own electrician on framing. Sure. You know, we found in the early days, and I think it was really through necessity when COVID uh, hit us, right? I'll just say hit us because that's what it did. Um, <laughs> when when we, we had subcontractors that just flat out wouldn't perform. Um, they wouldn't show up. You had zero confidence in whether or not they were going to be there from one day to the next. Um, that's when we made the decision to bring folks in-house. It was really necessity. And then it, it became, well, now we've trained these people to work exactly how we want them to. And we're getting the quality from these folks that we've helped build. Now it's almost like protecting that investment that's helped us build this, this expectation um, that is really hard to get from sub the sub base, especially in carpentry and especially in the painting side of things, um, because there's a, there's a huge disparity between these, these different trades in the marketplace and money doesn't necessarily dictate quality in our market. It may in yours, but a guy that's charging $8 to $10 a square foot to paint a house, he might be just as good as a guy charging six bucks a foot. Uh, you know, that you have to really experiment with some of these guys. And there isn't a, a test that you can make them do in order to determine how good they are. You, you have to basically try them out. Um, and that's, I'm not going to say it's, I have a lack of trust, but um, I can trust my guys that I know I've trained. And it's not very hard to manage on our end. Um, I think it's actually to our benefit. Um, we have fixed, you know, a fixed cost of sorts. We know exactly what to expect from one project to the next. We're not paying a different rate for a different type of finish. We're paying the same rate for the, for the finish that we expect across both sides of the house. So to us, it's a benefit. Um, now each, each of our guys get paid different rate based on their skills, but right. We have price control because we do this, um, which others can't say the same for. They may have to go out and try to find, you know, the best of the best painter. Well, I've got him in my back pocket every day, anytime I need him. And I can move him from one site to the next at a moment's notice if I have a 911, if it happens to come up. So I love that element of having it in-house. So are you operating on like a fixed cost or cost plus model or does it differ between remodel and new construction? Um, no, it, we're fixed cross across the board now. Um, it wasn't always that way. Uh, we started as a fixed cost, uh, contractor when we first began, and then we did some trial and error during the COVID years because of the pricing issues that our industry was plagued with. Yeah. Um, we admittedly during COVID had, had underwrote some fixed price contracts that, uh, went south because of the the speed in which the pricing changed with no escalation clauses built in at that time um it was a mistake uh, quite frankly it was a learn we took our lumps we finished the projects in good reputation and good standing with with our clients and our vendors and we made uh, a change on a few projects strategically and did some cost plus and we found that those processes uh, allowed for a lot of areas uh, that that were that were risky. Um, so when the market cooled uh, or the pricing 
began to to change, we went right back to fixed cost again. Uh, so we took we took about a year of, uh, of experimenting to to see how that would work. And I I just I'm not that I don't have that much uh, room for risk in my life. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, COVID was kind of a unique time to build, especially. I had some fixed price models. I think anyone that did, it was it was really tough. And you know, there's definitely pros and cons of both. It, what, what do you feel is the reason that, as you look at fixed costs, um, do you find that to be more of a benefit to your customers? Absolutely. Uh, we talk about uh, the customer experience and that being the most important part of this entire process for us. And when you are presenting customers with an open-ended pricing structure, that that's a tremendous amount of anxiety for those customers. Um, they don't know whether you're on their team or whether you, you truly are uh, the person you say you are and have the integrity you say you are. You have to sell that element of yourself um, in a fixed price model. You're not selling the fact that you're not trying to do wrong by them and increase your prices. You, there's nothing, none of that comes into play. Um, you have a price and that is your contractual obligation to deliver based on that. And I think that there is a security, uh, in that f for the customer and the, the expectation set from day one, it, it's not changing. You're not having to have budgetary conversations on a biweekly basis about where you are and how much it costs to finish. Those conversations are ambiguous at best and hard to pin and and if you have a project that's moving quickly, it's moving, you know, I always say it's like you're trying to catch a tiger by the tail. I, I'll tell you how much it costs when we're done. That's the best I can do because you're otherwise you're going to end up repricing that project 10 times before your job's over. And that's not a good place to be. Your estimator's stressed. He's ready to go home every day at, at five o'clock on the dot. He does not want to be there because all he's doing is repricing everything 10 times over. So I, I know a big thing that many of us struggle with as builders is that high level of customer satisfaction. And you alluded to this early on in the conversation from the autopsy, the evaluation of your projects, you know, you're doing biweekly surveys with your clients. You know, you just spoke about the fixed pricing model and you feel that gives you a competitive edge, you know, with just that relationship and cost structure for the clients. Um, along that, how do you keep, high levels of customer satisfaction. You know, I'm, I'm sure that like any company, you, you've had your pitfalls as have I in the years past and you're working to rectify those. What does that customer experience look like now as opposed to years ago? Oh, it's, I'm actually, when I look back on things, I say to myself that, I, you know, I should be writing customers apology letters I feel terrible saying that, but I have to, I, I have to be honest with myself. I, I would actually apologize to customers um, because you just don't know what you don't know. You know, when you're in the beginning phases of, of, of doing this and no matter how much training you have and working with other customers, you know, with other firms that you may have been a part of or getting coaching, you have to, you have to go through these things. You just have to go through it and you have to define the processes as you go. And they get better and better and better as the years go on. And, and some customers just didn't get the best of me. Uh, and I hate that. I hate that feeling. Um, but what I do know is that because we are constantly evaluating our processes and constantly refining these processes, that everyone now is getting the best of me um, and, and my team, because we have a very open dialogue about the expectations and we have a very open dialogue internally with our team about how we're going to provide our customers, uh, how, how we're going to exceed their expectations on a daily basis. I love that. And you know, it's interesting as you were speaking about that, I was thinking, I'm like, yeah, in the past, I, there's probably some similar conversation I've had, or, or at least mental thoughts I've had where, you know, the past just wasn't to the level that we are today. And you know, speaking of that, we had a customer that was a great customer. And even during the process, he was like, Brad, I think there's this, you know, I, I don't want to say this gap, but essentially a, a blip there that he's like, hey, this would be a good fix for that uh, moving forward, you know, from a management side. And we made that change. And so had we have done his house from day one, you know, it'd be much better. Uh, fortunately, he was a great client to be willing to give that that 
constructive criticism. I know you operate with the sell right run model. What is that? So that, as I had kind of alluded on our new construction side, the, that doesn't necessarily exist, but on the remodeling side where we need a scalpel, we need a, we need a, a hired gun, so to speak. Right. I look at the type of people, uh, I've broken up our remodeling sales team into different categories. Um, if we're going to work on a smaller project that is more kitchen bath related, we have a hired gun that can do that. Um, if you've got someone, or if we have a basement request come in or a, a smaller addition, we have a hired gun that can do that internally. Um, and then it, it goes even further, right? When whole house renovations or major expansions, we have someone that's really dedicated to those. So we've, <coughs> we've broken our sales team down and what I call the sell right run model on the remodeling side of the house is that person is going to, uh, traverse all the different business responsibilities that we would traditionally have broken up on the new construction side. So the client, the first engagement they have with our firm is going to be with their selling project manager. Um, so that person stays along with them like an account manager would throughout the process. But that person is not only going to sell the project to them, they're going to, they're going to be the subject matter expert when they come back inside and deliver and get that information from our team. They're going to take that back to the customer. And then if that customer decides to move forward with us, then that selling project manager will actually be the project manager of record for the entire duration of the project. Um, now that doesn't mean that they don't have a superintendent below them or a design lead underneath them or, or someone helping assist on the day to day. Um, but they're selling it, they're writing the contract and they're going to run it through completion. So cradle to grave, that person is along for the ride. And the way that we compensate them is a bit differently. Um, we compensate them based on their growth. We compensate them based on their ability to sell um, and close projects and deliver good projects uh, and, a, and a happy customer at the end of all of that. So it's a, I think that's not necessarily super tradition super traditional in the sense of other builders. Um, but, but we do that. And we also have someone who we're experimenting with, I would say on the new construction side, doing a similar, uh, type of process, but it is just an experiment right now. I, I, I'm trying to think of any guests I've had on that kind of has this operation model. I can't think of any. And what's interesting is, it sounds like that you're, you mentioned that you have some selling account managers. So you have other people selling product pro projects outside of you doing mm -hmm. business development. And what's unique is, you know, some companies do have like a sales uh, model, right? But you're keeping that salesperson engaged as an account manager through the whole project from cradle to grave, as you mentioned. And, and the reason being is that there's accountability and now pay structure and end of year is essentially tied into this model. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, our business coaches have told us like, you know, this, we don't see how this isn't going to end in total chaos and destruction. You're going to have, <laughs> you know, you're going to have your people revolting against you and sharing resources. And, you know, I get all this feedback from them and, and while I respect them, he's not me, he's not running it. He's not at the center of it. Um, and some, some business owners are tied at some builders and business owners are tied into their business through keeping that sales process to themselves, uh, I choose, I chose to take a different path and I chose to empower our people to be miniature franchisees is the best way that I can put it. I, I know that sounds again, maybe it, it sounds foolish, but I, I believe that the way that we've built it can be long-term sustainable and can provide customers with that same level of experience that as if I had sold it and wrote it and managed it like I did back in my early days. Um, I, I think that it's possible and it's working. Matter of fact, from, from my perspective, we're, we're profitable, our people are happy, um, they're motivated and they're supported. I think those are all the key 
elements that you really need to have someone out there performing at a high level. And, you know, we're asking them to stand up and be, you know, unicorns. We're not asking them to be good at just one thing. We're asking them to be good at a lot of things. And I know that that means you got to hire really well. Well, that's one of the things that we work really hard to do. So I, I want to come back to the higher well. I think that's a really interesting point that you just made there. But going back to this model, I think what's fascinating is many of us builders fail in the sense that we don't have a good understanding of our system, our operation, um, how that baton's passed, what that sales funnel looks like, and cradle to grave, right? Essentially what you mentioned. For you to operate at this level, I'd imagine there's been a lot of time you've put into the system and operation so that people understand their role, how to be successful, how to be accountable. Again, it's tied to their financial aspect. Maybe speak to, without getting specifics, but the time spent to put this model together, to educate your team, to really get to the point where they're empowered and trusted and you can step away and they they understand that role, that they're selling it, they're managing it. I mean, to have that ownership, I think that's pretty unique for any company that's out there right now. Yeah, no, I, I, I would say that it was a long process to get here and one that, you know, I kept myself up a lot of nights just questioning whether these folks would be equally as invested as I am, right? Because that's what you're asking them to be. You're asking them to be at all levels invested in what it is that you're trying to accomplish and how we're trying to deliver these projects to our clients. Um, that's hard. That's very, very hard. And it was one that I didn't know if I was going to be capable of providing someone with that much trust. Uh, and it started with one, just like it usually does. It starts with one person to prove you right or prove you wrong. And then I think you make your decision from there. But we did it. I did it with someone that I knew that I had a background with um, that I, I basically said, I need you and I want to bring you into this role. And we spelled out a process. We built, you know, we wrote it down. Everything was written down. I basically took everything out of here and put it on a piece of paper and said, if we were going to deliver the best project we can, how do we do this? And then we took and stood that up against Builder Trend and built, uh, you know, a, a scheduling process. We, we, we tied in our systems into that and we leveraged those systems. And then we followed up and followed up and followed up and followed up. We, and we kept it until we developed it and then we tried it again and then with a different person and we gave them the expectations and we showed them how to do it um but it just takes a longer amount of time you can't just stand someone up like you can in the traditional sense like hey i'm gonna go hire the very best project manager that i can and i know that's what i'm gonna that's what they're gonna be really good at right we you have to be good across a lot of different um areas in order to be successful in this role. But like I said, we look at these guys like they're like they're hired guns, they're sharpshooters, they're, you know, they're not, they don't have a shotgun mentality in life. They have a very precise viewpoint of what they're being asked to do. Um, and they have to be great conduits uh, internally to get the information that they need from the others and great communicators. Uh, so we just found that in those areas, if you had, you know, a level of excellence in these three things, you'd be a good fit. And we just kind of developed from that point. I love the analogy and they're not hired guns or snipers. I think that's pretty targeted approach based on kind of your operating system. And you mentioned hire well, um, there's been some trial and error. I, I can imagine how, do you feel that you've refined that hiring process? Where do you find your talent? How have you made that onboarding successful to keep and retain talent? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a little bit, uh, I'll be extremely transparent. When we interview, we may, they may come in uh, and interview for one role or another uh, that was put out. You know, we had a rec to, to hire for this role or that role. But in the first meeting, we are looking for, you know, Clifton strength level, you know, strength finders level of personality. That's our first stop along the path of hiring. We're looking to, to understand who these folks are and what are they uniquely capable uh, of 
accomplishing outside of just the day to day. Right. So the first order of business is to understand, are they just good at this one thing? Or are they good at other things too? What is their personality like? Do they, would they communicate well? Would they do these things well? And then we just ask them a series of questions and coming out of that first meeting, we generally will say, we'd like to have you back for another conversation, but we would like to have you talk about this role or that role. We don't, we think you'd be a better fit for this. And we've found that if given the opportunity, people are usually open and and will receive that well and say, we may not have that requisition to hire for that position out right now, but if we find somebody that's uniquely capable and really good at doing something else for us, we're very quick to, to ask them if they'd be open to it. And if they'd be open to a role that maybe doesn't necessarily have a title and if they'd be willing to walk the walk with us to determine whether or not they're a great fit for the organization. So a little bit of trial and learn. And I found that people are open to that kind of thing, especially if there's enough opportunity um, for them. And we found great people doing this. That's incredible. And then from the onboarding side, you mentioned a few times, you, you know, you're proficient in build a trend, you use and build a trend. In addition to build a trend, are there other softwares or technology that you're utilizing to enhance that process? A little bit. Um, we, we definitely have our fair share of Google Docs uh, <laughs> hanging around just like everybody else does. Um, but our internal teams have, uh, have adopted Monday. And I know that we're using some of that for our internal operations. Um, we're doing a lot of communication through that. We, we still do a lot of things through teams. Um, we have a lot of different ongoing conversations. So uh, kind of like a tech company would, you've got your Slack or your teams, or you've got these other things and, and they're using those as conduits to communicate and connect with others, um, frequently. And that's been tremendously helpful. We, we are looking into, uh, bringing more video content to our people. Uh, as we onboard, we're looking into doing some uh, loom is one that we're looking at right now to to help spell the processes out in a more uh, elaborate way to help speed that process up, speeding the onboarding process up um, and just educating, because I think a large part of what we do, you've got to have uh, a technical aptitude uh, in order to to do any of this. You, you, know, you got to be able to read plans. You got to understand what a selection sheet looks like and how to digest that. You got to be able to do some of these things. So we still have um, where we've taken folks out of different industries and brought them in, which I actually think we only have two people in our entire firm that came from construction. Traditionally, everyone else in our firm has come from some other background, whether that's tech or whether that's service in other areas and in other industries. So um, we've been very open to bringing folks who are motivated and hungry and um, and bright who want to do something more meaningful in their career and think that we can help provide that for them. So I'm very proud of that accomplishment. It's interesting because you mentioned that traditional would be you're hiring people that are skilled in the construction mine, you know, program. They've been in it their whole life, whereas you're operating from, hey, Here's another way to look at it, you know, to bring people outside the industry. What What is the value add when you're hiring someone? Of course, yeah, you have to train them and teach them to the industry itself. But it sounds like you've found some great people outside the industry. And how's that impacted the day to day? I think it starts at professionalism. I, I hate to admit, but our industry is plagued by an unprofessional um, abundance. There, there's a, just so many folks that uh, you know, have, have maybe come through this in a, from a generational perspective, uh, you know, where, uh, their dad was a builder and now they're going to become a builder and their dad had yellow post-it notes on their dash. And so now they have yellow post-it notes on their dash. And, uh, this industry's changing at the fastest rate that I think it ever has in its entire history. And if you're not willing to adopt new technologies and processes and the professionalism that comes from that then you're probably not going to be around in the next five years. Uh, that's just my opinion. So I, I'm, 
I'm loving the the level of professionalism I'm getting from people who are coming out of these different industries that were forced to to know how to operate with a lot of different people. Um, and in this industry, you're so isolated at times, or if you're just a, a singular builder and maybe you've got a, an office manager or a bookkeeper, or maybe you got a designer you work with every now and then, you can still get away with a lot of these, uh, you can get away with the way they've done it in the past and be just fine building a couple at a time. But if you truly want to scale and grow, I think that you have to have the professionalism and the systems in place in order to, to get there. I love that. And how does that look like now the, utilizing social media? How has that changed the business, you know, prospecting and business development? You know, we use social media as social proof. Um, we, I think I alluded to this earlier. We don't generally have a lot of conversation about the bricks and sticks in our in our initial meetings with clients. Um, it's more about who we are, um, our processes, and our social media content is showing our customer base and prospective customer base what we're capable of. We're even giving them a glimpse into who we are and our, our personality. And we're, we're doing our very best to showcase that, you know, we're the trusted individuals that can take their project and, and do it in a way that they know they're going to be happy at the end of the day, um, you know, by having gone with us. Uh, so social media is doing things that we've never seen before for us. You know, we've we've had uh, a couple of clients come to us now uh, who have told us we we saw this project that you did on social and I'm in love with it and we want you to do it. There there is there is no going to anybody else. We're not we're not talking to anyone else. We want you to do it. Um, and I don't think that's achievable by just simply having a website. I don't think that's achievable by being on a listing site or even being a part of your NARI or your GAHB where they're going to list you. That, that's not possible without social media. Um, so it, it really is this moving from static content to moving to moving content and having video do the heavy lift. Video is really at the center point of it all. If, if you're not leveraging video and doing it well, you're probably not highlighting your work in the best way you can. And you're not getting the benefit of that because your customers see a pretty picture and that seems great, but that doesn't tell a story. I love that you shared that because I think video not only has it been super important in the last three, four, five years, it's going to continue to be everything. I mean, all the, all the social media platforms, everything, all the content is going to this video format. And to your point, you, you can create a lot more story, information, thought leadership, process in a 15, 30 second video than you could in a photo all day long. Yeah, the amount of information that a, that a prospective client could take from a video is, is, is massive comparatively. Um, and it, and it kind of spells out who you are and what your, what your flavor is. I, I think that that's important. I think that, you know, imagine going to a builder and knowing that this process is going to take two, two and a half years, or uh, even just a, a year, right? Let's just go back to that point. I have to be engaged with this person for a year. Can I, I want to like the person that I'm doing business with. We all say that. And, you know, you, every business course you ever take, it's like people do business with people that they like, right? Well, they have to like you. How, how are they going to know if they like you or not if, in one or two meetings? How is it possible to know that this year-long journey that we're going to take together um, can can you can digest all of that in a one or two hour meeting that you have with me? You know, I, most other industries, it's like let's go play golf together and spend four or five hours together before we really get roped into something, and that might be a six month engagement. Now imagine you've got a year or two years. You got to know, you got to like them and social media can do that for you too. Social media can signal to the market that you're, you know, you do what you say you're going to do or that you have a personality or that you, you know, you're humble and that you like to have a good time or it's, it's all, you know, you like, you enjoy the work you do. You can spell all that out on social media, whereas in other places you can. It's so true. I mean, th there's nothing like having an understanding that that relationship, the likeness, um, the likability, like there is a huge component to that, to successful bills, successful relationships. 
and these are long processes. I mean, personalities, everything, both from our side and the client, that interview process and, you know, that ongoing relationship. So what keeps you up at night? <laughs> oh, man, um, everything, because I want to tackle everything. But uh, I know that I know that I have to just break it down into digestible pieces. So what keeps me up at night is is really my people just making sure that they have a degree of confidence in our firm that we're we're the right place for them constantly and that we have enough work for them constantly because when you're when you're trying to attract the, a specific type of project and you're not competitively bidding and you're not racing to fill your funnel right like you know that puts you in a different place where you know we don't have a hundred projects. We could have a hundred projects. I could flip the switch, but I'm trying to get 15 really good projects. That's what I'm doing. And if I'm trying to chase after just 15 really good projects, how big does our team need to be? Um, you know, that, that's the question that I'm, I'm constantly asking myself is, is, is everyone as efficient and productive as they should be? Is everyone happy doing the things that they're, they're being asked to do or that they, you know, that they, that they're enlisted to do? I want to make sure that people feel a deep connection to this place and a sense of meaning by coming here. I don't want them to go home at the end of the day and say, well, everything I just did is for somebody else or for something else. And they got no fulfillment from it personally or professionally. I don't want that. Um, so my, my focus right now is just cultivating a culture where our people find a great deal of meaning in every single thing that they do or they, what they touch and, they're all rallying around one central idea and working on that. Um, so that's what I'm, that's what keeps me up at night. That's what I'm also focused on. So it's incredible. It's great perspective though. And what do you do for fun? Uh, I am a, a, a fish. I love to be on the water, so I don't <laughs> fish fish. Uh, I like to be in the water. I like to wake surf, um, like to e-foil really big into water sports. And then, um, I love to play golf. I'm happy right now. It's a uh, Thanksgiving break. My big guy's down from college. He's uh, been really busy. He's playing college baseball. And so he's finally been able to come home for the Thanksgiving break. I think we're going to try to get some golf in as long as uh, it doesn't rain too much on us. That's incredible. By big guys, is this your oldest son? or? Yeah. Yeah, I got an 18-year-old. He's a freshman. Uh, just really dipping his toe into the water in the world and uh, getting a full dose of it between uh, his fraternity and his uh, baseball team, which he has a huge commitment to, <laughs> to to perform for. So as a dad, you can uh, maybe sense some of that anxiety. Oh, for sure. And especially when they're out of the house on their own. And, you know, I'd imagine there's a scholarship and there's some other incentives there to be good at baseball and keep focused, which is always, you know, important for us dads to be looking out for. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's it's. it's Every day I just cross my fingers. I'm like, I taught him right. I know I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then they make a decision like, this is amazing. I can't believe it. It's awesome. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I do find myself in a place where I'm like, I, I wish this college experience would hurry up because I want him to come here. And, yeah. you know, he, he wants to, he, he keeps asking me, it's like, you know, I want to, I want to do something with the business. I want to get involved. So I'm like, just go learn, man, have fun. We'll, mm -hmm. we'll get to this later, but yeah. I do find myself like, it would be nice if he was here. <laughs> That's amazing. So for those listening, what do you have upcoming and exciting? And also where can they find you? Um, goodness. We, uh, I feel like coming into our slower season where we get to just rest a little bit, all of our big meetings for the year are over, uh, but definitely ready to jump out to Las Vegas in February for uh, the international builder show going to be out there. I'm um, going to be connecting with you guys at the Contractor Coalition um, at the Fountain Blue, which it looks like it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Yep. So be there. Um, excited. I've got some of my team coming with me this year. Uh, and then pretty much just going to just rest a little bit. Just take yeah. a little bit of a break. Well, I'm excited. Yeah, what's, what's that? I was going to say you can find us on social media. Um, we're at Bradford Built um, on Instagram and then all the other platforms out there, uh, pretty heavy on LinkedIn and pretty heavy on Instagram these days. Um, everything else is really, um, you know, it's still there. 
and we're working it. Uh, my my marketing manager, he's got us on TikTok. That's new <laughs> for me. I uh, I guess it's an important place to do business. <laughs> it will be. You got to be. I mean, it's awesome. It's actually a great platform. So it's worth. It, yeah, it's worth spending time on that platform. Yep. Yep. We're we're I'm I'm watching it happen, and I see the the growth. And he's like, "Oh, we're only at nine thousand percent growth over here." And I'm like, "Wow, that's excellent." <laughs> <laughs> well, it's impressive. Like, it's amazing. Um, what you've done. It's been incredible to have you on Brad and looking forward to connecting in person at, uh, IBS here in February. So same here, man. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm looking forward to it. If you give value from the show, please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And I also have a favorite ask. We've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom, their knowledge about their business. So if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could get value from the podcast or certain episodes, please share those as well. Again, subscribe, make sure you're following any questions that you have topics. We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l at aftconstruction.com. Email me for topics to address guests that we should have on. And even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So again, thank you for all your support and we'll see you next time.